Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You'll be set so, okay, we're in the book of James today, and the author of James was James. But no, more specifically, James was raised in the same house that Jesus was. This is Jesus' brother, James, the brother of Jesus Christ. And interesting about James is he did not become a believer until after Jesus died and rose again. The brother of Jesus Christ, and he was not a believer until after all that. It says in John 7 and 5, it says, For even his own brothers did not believe him did not believe in him. And so, just like myself, and just like you, John did not become a believer until he had an encounter with the risen Lord. Just like you and me. It wasn't until after he rose again, because if you look in in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says, Jesus was seen by James and the apostles after Jesus was buried and rose again. Imagine that there's a man who lived in history, who was raised with Jesus' kids. That's kind of odd to think of, isn't it? But he was raised with Jesus' kids in the same house by the same parents, who denied Jesus as the Messiah after having lived with him for all those years. He didn't believe he was the Messiah. But then he eventually comes to belief, and then he writes a book. Wouldn't you like to know what's in that book from such a guy as this? Well, that's James, and we're going to read it. That's what's in the book of James. I just wanted you to know a little bit about James first so that you could go, wow, this is an intriguing guy. I really want to know what's in what he had to say. Here's what he had to say. And we start with James chapter 1, verse 1. The greeting to the 12 tribes. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And so I always like to point out uh, the specific nature of what's going on in, in books when we get going in them is that it was addressed to the Jews. Who does it say it was addressed to? To the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. He's writing this to them. Now, it doesn't mean we can't apply that to us too, because he has a lot of good things in there. But I want us to remember he's encouraging the Jewish people. They're scattered everywhere. They're all over the place. And, and trials has done this to them. They've gone through Babylonian captivity. They've gone under this and that and the other and all these things, and they're scattered. So they need encouragement. Do you need encouragement today? Guys, if you look out there at our world, it's scattered. It's a big old mess, right? Well, let's see what he has to say. James 1 and verse 2, profiting profiting from trials. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Stop. I really want to go on to the next verses, but that's 
(laughs) That's pretty heavy right there. Count it joy when you fall into various trials. That sounds backwards, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. But what a timely passage to hear right now. We're going through the corona mess. And this is certainly is a trial. This is a trial for all of us. People are starting to pay attention now, though. People are actually asking questions, probably out there getting saved. Uh, the trial is, well, where are we going to get, you know, are we going to have enough food? I mean, how am I going to make my money? And how am I going to make money? What's my job going to do? This is a trial, especially being on such a global scale. It's huge. But it says, consider it joyful, be happy when trials hit. And this sounds backwards. Well, it sounds backwards if we think according to the world. But when we think according to God, it makes perfect sense. Think about the Jews that James is writing to at this time in history. Trial has scattered them all abroad. They're spread out all over the place. Many of them had lost their homes in the past, Babylonian captivity, like I'd mentioned before. and among other things that had hit them, they'd been scattered, driven out from their homeland. And James said, consider it joy. Consider it joy. You know, we're going through the coronavirus. We're in our homes. We have our houses. The Jews, many of them through history, lost their homes. And he's telling them to consider it joy. I know people who live in houses that are worth more than $200,000 or maybe a million dollars, whatever. They still make good pay. They still have their family. They have never been driven out of their home or, their, or, the, or the state of Texas, for that matter. But they feel like the world is caving in on them. They still have their home, and they feel like the world is just crumbling. James wrote to Jews that have been scattered abroad, kicked out of their country, lost their homes, and he's telling them to consider it joy when you fall into trials. I want us to get the perspective here. They'd been scattered. Count it joy when you fall into various trials. This passage demands us to change the way we react to trial. The way we handle it, we're supposed to do it different now. If we're not reacting rightly, we need to change the way we do that. So instead of taking trials as some kind of a a punishment, uh, some kind of, you know, feel like you're getting whipped in the back, or some kind of hindrance, or some kind of reason to get upset and spout a bunch of complaints. The Bible is telling us that trials are supposed to prompt us into rejoicing. (laughs) Oh, rage. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't either. That's why I'm just following what the Bible says. You may be thinking, okay, just consider it joy in trials. Okay, that's easy for you to say, James. That's easy for you. You're not me. You don't know what I have to deal with. How can you know what's going on with me? Well, James did not talk down to them when he said this. Consider it joy. Come on, straighten up. He he didn't act like that. He didn't talk down to them when he said this because he identified with them. When he addressed the Jews, he said, my brethren, my brethren. In other words, I'm one of you. I'm in it with you. I'm in this too. You know, you can say, well, Ray, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what, it's, what I'm dealing with. Okay, you don't know what I'm dealing with either. Well, James said, my brethren. He identified with the Jews. He's, he's, it's like he's saying, I'm with this. I'm in this with you too. It's happened on me. My brethren, I'm one of you. I'm in it. I'm here also. I'm in this too. That would earn their ear. 
For him to say, I'm in this with you too, that would earn their ear. They would actually give a listen to him and hear what he had to say. We should count it joy when we, ex- when we fall into various trials. If trials, causes you, if trials cause you to scowl, if they get you all bent up and upset, and it steals your joy away and puts this miserable bitterness in you, like it does so many people, then brethren, we got to turn that around the other direction. We have to learn to react differently to trials than that, especially when unbelievers are watching us. Because they're looking at you and me, the believer, the guys that say we're Christians, they're watching us. Now, I've noticed a lot of people saying they're Christian, they're Christian. They freak out when trials happen, just like everybody else does. Why should anybody want Christ when you act like everyone else? You don't look any different. You're not holy, not set apart. And so people react badly when they're not trusting God. But when you're trusting God, you can have this joy during trial. So. Why should we expect anyone else to trust the Lord if we don't do it first? I think that's what James was trying to communicate to the, to the Jews. Trust in God with this. Don't consider it joy when you fall into trials. Other people are watching. Most people count it joy when they escape trials. Oh, God, get me out of this. Oh, God, get me out of this. And then when they get out, oh, thank you, God. Oh, 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 oh thank you, God. You were supposed to do that when the trial fell on you. <laughs> you missed your timing. We should be different and count it joy when we fall into it. Not be upset and mad and shake our fist and then go, oh, thank you, God, when we get out. James, how in the world can I consider it joy when I fall into trial? What's the point? I mean, why? Let's see what he says about it, because it produces something here. James 1 and 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Aha, it produces patience. Do you lack patience? That's the benefit of trial, is that it produces patience. Are you impatient? Certainly not me. No, come on, really, let me, re- let me rephrase the question. Are you righteously patient? Are you righteously patient? Godly patient. Are you godly patient? Everybody claims to have faith, but you find out what it's really made of when it's tested. Your faith has to be tested. I used to work at this fabrication shop where they would weld these big piping structures together and chemicals would have to flow through it. And you don't want to take a piping skid to a plant and put chemicals through it and have it leak everywhere. So what you have to do is something called hydro testing. You take the whole assembly, fill the whole thing with water. Doesn't matter how big it is, how much piping. You fill the whole thing up with water. And then there was this water pump thing that would pump pressurized water into it. And it would pump the whole assembly up, completely full of water, and just pressurize it, pressurize it. Then this little reading device is like a wheel that would slowly turn. It had a little needle, kind of like a record. It would keep track of uh, many, many hours of the pressure that was in this whole assembly. And they would leave it for hours, if not days, maybe even weeks, I don't know. And they would monitor the pressure to see if anything was leaking. If there was any leak at all, you had to find the leak. And that's just the way it is. You can't put leaky pipe assemblies into a chemical plant. The leak has to be found. And so what you did is you hydro-tested it. You water pressure tested the whole assembly 
to make sure there was no leaks at all. Now, there were some welds that looked like good welds, multi-layered welds that, that sealed off a, a joint together, but somehow water was getting through that weld. We didn't know how, but it did. But the only way you're going to find out is through hydro testing. The whole thing had to be put under pressure to see what it was really made of. And the, if there was a fault in it, you could find the fault and fix it. And then you repressure it again. Chances are you'll pass the next time. But the first time that it didn't pass is you found it because it went under pressure. It went under trial. And the only way to find that fault was to put it through that pressure. Well, now you've got a good pipe assembly that goes out to the plant and you know it's going to work because we pressure tested it. We put it under hydro test. Now, our faith, our faith has to be tested. Much like the hydro testing I used to do on the the piping assemblies, it had to be tested. you got to find out what it's really made of, because you don't really know yet until you test it, until you pressure it. Then you find out what's truly there. And And if something's off, well, then you know what to fix. You'll be better for the next trial, for the next test. And it's dangerous. Like I said, it's dangerous to have leaky pipes in a chemical plant. But something's got to seal them up strong enough so they'll flow right and be productive. Friends, it's dangerous to have leaky faith. You can't have leaky faith. Something's got to seal it up so that it will flow right and be productive. And that's what trial does. It applies pressure. Testing. Tests will expose where the weaknesses and where the leaks are where the faults are at, where things aren't right, so that you can fix it, so you can do something about it and be better for the next round. James 1 and 4. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now this is like, I'm going to bring another example in. This is like athletes who train and train and train and train before competing. You don't just show up and compete. Oh, here I am. Well, you don't look like you've been training very much at all. You look like you should drop another 40, 50 pounds. What are you doing here? They train hard before they go to the actual competition. They put their body through trial, through intense tests of stamina and endurance. And you got to train first. The, The testing of your body produces patience. Patience to keep training day after day after day. I'm trying to run. I'm I'm not making the time I should be making. Patience, but keep training. Keep doing it. You'll get there. It produces patience. It strengthens them up so that they can compete for the sport that they're training for. Now, by the time you get out there to perform, you won't lack anything because you've been training and you've been making that time. You cross the line within the time that you think you should make and your, your speed is up. Your body is leaned down. You're doing good. It produced patience, and it also made you more capable of performing. You lack nothing. Now you can get in there and do it. And so the contest of a sporting event is to determine who has the best strengths, as well as who has the least weaknesses. (laughs) But those weaknesses that you have in training have to be purged out during trial. Because if you don't purge out those weaknesses, when you get to the real trial, to the real competition, you're going to get demolished. Everybody's going to beat you. But if an athlete, let's say an athlete had a sour attitude 
during their training. If they think negatively the whole time, I'm never going to win, I'm never going to win, then it will have terrible effects on their performance. I put all this in physical terms so that we can parallel over to spiritual terms to understand that we should count it joy when we fall into various trials. Don't be like that athlete that's training, well, forget it, I'm never going to win, I'm never going to make it. Be joyous in the trial. We, as Christians, as believers in Messiah Jesus, we need to count it joyful in, when we fall into the trial. Don't have the I'm never going to win attitude when you know you've got victory in Jesus Christ. And maintain that perspective, that good perspective, I have victory in Jesus. Hold that so that you can rejoice in the trial, because so that the testing of your faith that produces patience and that it may be made perfect and complete so that you will lack nothing. See how that works? James is saying that this will make you stronger, more integral, oneness, less fractured. The world needs strong leaders in Messiah Jesus because the world is dying. Have you ever happened to notice that the world is passing away? It's faulted, it's negative, and it's fractured, messed up. And what will catch people's eye and hold their interest? I'll tell you, strong followers of Messiah Jesus. Well, how do we show them that strength? James is telling us right here. For them to see that, we have to handle trials the way James tells us to. Now, I like how he says, let patience have its perfect work. In other words, give it time to finish. <laughs> Let me finish. You ever been cooking dinner and the kids are, when are we eating? He's like, let me finish. Let it have its perfect work. Give it time. Let it finish so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So now maybe you're thinking, okay, great. Ray sounds good. This, this sounds good. But my trial is so big. My trial is so heavy. I don't even know how to start with all this stuff that James is saying. It's too big. My problems are so vast and so, oh, how do I start, Ray? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? Number one, if you're asking me first, or if you go to your pastor or go to a friend, you ask people how to do this first, you're already making a mistake. Don't start off on the wrong foot. Don't go to people. You go to God. You go to God's Word. That's why James now says in verse 5, James 1 and 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You know, a lot of people come to me sometimes and ask me questions, and and I, I do my best. But for some people, there comes a point where I recognize that the reason they're asking me is because they never once asked God first. But ask God first. Did you ask God first? A lot of people come to me, and I can tell they didn't. Your pastor, your friends, your spouse, they are not to be the first one you ask when you get in trouble. Don't ask them first. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and you know you're there, (laughs) if any of you lacks wisdom, if you find yourself in a snag where you don't know what to do, the first person you should ask 
is God. Don't ask me first. Don't ask your most trusted friend who's always been there. There's going to be a time when they won't be, maybe not by their choice. But the first person you should ask who has always been there and always will is God. Ask him. You've got friends, I know, and fellowship is good. And we have fellowship, strength, and uh, I've got strengths that you don't have. You have strengths I don't have. I get all that. I understand that. We've got all these people that can give counsel and encouragement. But the first person you ask is God. Ask him first. God Almighty. Now, there's times when I can tell that someone is not rejoicing in their trial, but they'd rather worry and be, be upset about it. And that's a red flag to me. That they did not ask God first. Ask God first. He really does answer. He honestly does answer. Now, sometimes his answer might seem like a thought in your head. Did I think that or was that God? I don't know. Well, maybe in case it was God, maybe I should do what he said. And if it was him and let's see what happens. And then boom, it turns out great. And you're like, that was God. (laughs) I've had that happen to me many times. Friends, you can come to me for anything, but I want to put this up front. Did you ask God first? I hope I'm not your first, your, your first outlet, your first person to come and, and ask. I hope not. If anything, you know you can go pray before the Lord at any time. Some people have admitted to me that they're afraid to ask people anything. They're afraid to ask for anything. I, I understand that. You know, uh, maybe you're afraid to ask people anything because you're afraid that that exposes a weakness that you have, that you, you, you expose a weakness to them that you don't want them to know about. Maybe your asking is a point of embarrassment to you. Maybe you're a, just a number of reasons why you would be afraid to ask people some things. But friend, that's all the more reason to take it to God first. Take it to God first. It says, ask of God who gives liberally. That means he gives a lot. And it says, and he gives liberally and without reproach. Without reproach. What does that mean? He's going to give you a lot and he'll give it without insulting you. He'll give it without embarrassing you. If, if you, the problem, the trial you're dealing is, is an embarrassing or a weak point about you that you're afraid to let anybody know, you can ask God. He will give liberally to you without reproach. He won't make fun of you for it and tease you and ridicule and mock you for it. He's God. He won't embarrass you for asking. He won't take advantage of your weakness. He already knows what it is anyway. Your pastor, your friends and family, I'm sure they'll give what they can, but they can only give so much. And that's another reason why many people don't like to ask, because they don't want to trouble anybody. They don't want to trouble somebody else to have to spend their resources on them to help them out. But friends, God's resources can never be exhausted. What God has to give, and that's why he gives liberally, is because he has everything. It all belongs to him. You can't ask too much of God. He will give and give, and he'll always have more to give. If you lack wisdom, ask God, because he can give to you liberally with great abundance and without reproach. He will never get mad at you and snap at you for bothering him. He says, ask. So I ask you, God is ready and available to assist you. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.